It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. I don't need nobody to tell me who to be. Don't need nobody to tell me what I see. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Play Hard, Work Hard. It's the Crude Life Morning Show. Sterling, myself, Jason Spies, here we are with you another day. We've got a fantastic program in store for you. All right, let me take a look at this menu here, folks. Jason, ready for this? I'm ready. Modulin. Jason Modulin, like Dodge. Lynn, okay? Jason Modulin. He's the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. He's on the second half of the program in hour number two. Great. They just did a study. They're going to talk about all kinds of important things. Surveyed, uh, I think, 140 companies. Anyways, he represents 2,600 companies in Texas alone. Wow. 2,600 oil and gas companies in Texas alone. And I wonder how many of those are active right now. We actually talk about that that, uh, in the next hour. Okay, this hour, biblically bad dates coming up in just a moment (laughs) or two. Actually, we'll probably save that in the second half of the first hour because it's play hard in the first hour. We're going to talk about some biblically bad dates that we've had. Of course, I'm out on the dating scene once again. And, you know, for this one... I tell you what, when we do the uh, uh, at thirty, you know, at thirty, when we kind of do that commercial break, and then we got about a three three to five minute break, let's run down and get the girls next door. They're they're, they're home. I see their fifteen cars out, <laughs> outside, and so their boyfriends are there too. But All let's right. go get some uh, interesting perspectives. Yeah, I'm sure they've had a bad date or two. Probably had one last night, for all we know. Uh, food flops. State names and then news, rumors, and newspeak as well coming up. Our sponsor, O'Day, is Absolute Energy Field and Products and Services. They're out of Houston, Texas. Manufacturer of oil and gas production equipment. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Absolute Energy Field and Products and Services, for being our sponsor today. We appreciate that very much. Our sponsor, O'Day, like soup of the day. It's beautiful. Sponsor du jour. Let's do that one tomorrow. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking like a Bob's Burgers thing going on. You've got a menu. Well, we're t- this is the pilot. Yeah. We- anything goes. Anything goes. Of course, anything goes in the play hard yeah. section anyways. Sterling, of course, comes to us via Saudi Arabia through oil and gas. His childhood, literally his childhood, grew up in a American compound in Saudi Arabia. His parents worked for Ramco. His dad worked for Ramco. Uh, you've been reaching out to a few of the Aramco brats, you were saying, huh? Yeah, actually, there's uh, you know the beauty of Facebook, Aramco Brat Network, and uh, I think a lot of people, hey, they got, they got lots of stories. So I think you'll be getting to hear more about about people that lived over there, people that worked over there, and uh, just different perspective. Aramco, for those uh, individuals who did not listen to yesterday's pilot Play Hard, Work Hard podcast, shame on you, but also Aramco is Standard Oil, and then Ramco 
and then Aramco, and then Saudi Aramco. I think now it's it's Saudi Aramco. Yeah, after so they nationalized it. That's kind of the progression. But mm-hmm. I thought your description of in 1940, after World War II, a couple trailers over in the desert started this little community compound. Dahran. Dahran, and now it's golf courses and schools. And oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a shopping. You know, I can only visit it through Google Earth, but yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the key anymore, huh? Nope, no. And uh, it's uh, uh, when you were there, it was all employees and their families of Ramco. As far as I know, everybody that lives there works for the company in some capacity. They're on the rigs, in telecommunications, marketing, whatever. And I, you know, when you were telling me the stories through the years, I always just kind of uh, assumed it was even the supply chain. But during the pilot podcast, you were saying that, as far as you know, it was just employees. Yeah. I mean, you know, you figure you had like people living there that were the teachers, right? Or, you know, people living okay. there. Yeah. But it was everybody made their living from Aramco that lived in Dahran. That's cool. I mean, that, that company camp, you know, it's just it's a literal oil and gas community. Yeah. That, it was it was built for that purpose and uh yeah, it, I forget exactly when it was, it early 40s or, or late 40s when it was founded. Uh but yeah, it's been continuous for what about 80 years now. Is that what it is? Yeah. About 80 years? Yeah. And I think it's the oldest. There's several different compounds, you know, that Aramco has, but uh it's probably the largest. And through this network of Aramco brats, mm-hmm. uh there's a uh, like a a reunion every year and and other f- forms yep. and you yep. were saying 70 and 80 year old individuals show up huh? yeah i was gonna say it's uh you know you, you get really just generations of people that you know, either grew up over there or worked over there or, you know their families worked at the consulates or you know stuff like that so it's really cool so it's an international audience out of the get-go, folks, here at the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard, biblically bad dates coming up in a latter part of the program. Jason Modlin, the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers in the second half of the program. That's the work hard portion of the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. I even have to, you know, put a tie on for yeah, that. I like you just straightened your tie there. Totally. And then verbally. food flops and state names. Of course, a little bit of a grab bag section if Sterling would like to choose from that. And then we have our news, rumors, and news speak daily as well. We like to check in with some news that is happening. And we're going to take a brief pause and we come back. Let's see, what do we got? Food flops, state names we've got coming up, and news, rumors, and newspeak just around the corner. We'll see in about 30 to 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds. And it's a beautiful day. You're listening to Play Hard, Work Hard on the Crude Life Media Network. The music on today's program is written and performed by the Moody River Band. For more information on the Moody River Band, their links, and their music, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com, and click on the Musicians tab. This is the Moody River Band. Work hard. Historic. 
the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. It's play hard, work hard. We're in hour number one. We're still playing hard here. Second hour, Jason Modulin, President, Texas Alliance Energy Producers. Their new study, we're going to talk about that, about what to look for in 2021, and also what people thought about 2020. That is in hour number two. Biblically bad dates still coming up in hour number one. And what do we got? We have fabulous flops coming up in just a second here. And... And our next segment, news, rumors, and news speak. So we still got a pretty big morning. Also, our sponsor, O'Day. Our sponsor, O'Day, Absolute Energy Field Products and Services. Hey, thanks, Energy Field Products and Services. Absolutely. There we go. I kind of mixed that up a little bit. But thanks very much. Our daily sponsor. So thank you very much. That link is available at the website as well. And Sterling, we're bringing you in now. How you doing? Man. I'm doing great. What do we got? Frackleberry Hound seems to be uh, getting your attention yeah, pretty well. Some puppy love here. That's what happens when we bring the dog in the studio. But hey, Frackleberry Hound, she won't be denied. She will not be denied. All right, we'll take a look at some fabulous flops right now. A lot of people are trying some new things, and I say go for it right now. Of course, right now people are doing out of survival, and I see we have stimulus talk in the news coming up, and. Uh, a lot of people are just getting stimulus. So for a lot of people, they're just taking a year off. Other, yeah. other people will get into that, trust me, yeah. in, in, in the next segment. But uh, there are people trying new things. We tried new things. I know that, that have failed, and that's okay. You just move on and go. Um, and here are a few things that just didn't really go. You ready? I'm ready. In 1963... A Wisconsin businessman looking for new ways to use local cheese had a brainstorm. If smoke can be used to flavor cheese, why can't cheese be used to flavor smokes? (laughs) According to the Wall Street Journal, University of Wisconsin chemist found that Parmesan and Romano were the two best cheese filters. Using a combination of one-third charcoal and two-thirds cheese, the cigarette industry wouldn't bite. (laughs) Man. I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking tainted cheese. That's what I'm getting. That's that's the the, the whole taste, smell sensation. I couldn't even imagine what that would be like. That would be disgusting, wouldn't it? Well, you know, people like really sweet, those vapes that are really sweet, so maybe, but it's just, uh, plus, wouldn't it get moldy? I didn't think cheese was sweet. No, no, but I'm saying that, you know, that's people like weird things when it comes to smoke. Grubby's Sneakers. You've heard of pre-wash jeans? Absolutely. In 1966, B.F. Goodrich came up with a similar idea, pre-tattered sneakers. Hmm. You didn't have to wait months for your sneakers to look beat up. With Grubbies, all you added was the foot odor. <laughs> all right, here's another fabulous flop. Indoor archery. Oh, I think that would have worked. I think Grubbies would work now. Probably. 
probably, but I, you it's know, ahead of its time. I think that's what Facebook Marketplace is no, for. I mean, I've seen clothing stores that sell distressed jeans and distressed shirts, and I mean, yeah, it's yeah. who's got time to wear your stuff out anymore? In the nineteen early nineteen sixties, bowling was one of America's hottest sports. Hoping to do for archery what automatic pin setters did for bowling, a number of entrepreneurs opened archery lanes with automatic arrow retrievers. They expected to have thousands around the United States by 1970. How'd that work out? Not very well, but I, I don't know why. That would be fun. I'd like to see the mechanics behind that. I would, too. I was yeah. trying to figure that or out Or is myself. it really just some guy in the back who ducks? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right? Because didn't original pin setters, it was just a guy back there set that stuff back up? Hey, man, if, <laughs> if the robots are taking our jobs and we're taking the jobs of robots, you know, holding signs on the streets and things like that, you oh know? Oh, my God, we're swapping I know. I mean, we're swapping jobs, oh, so man. maybe we'll have to be archery pin retrievers. Or hey, archery. you know what? If my Roomba wants to go to do my job, that's cool. Javelin catchers. All right. Look of buttermilk, touch of buttermilk shampoo. Ah. A 1970s health product. Were you supposed to eat it or wash with it? All these Did bad you things want the to wash with it? <laughs> Rubbing dairy products into their hair didn't exactly conjure up images of cleanliness in the minds of most consumers. Touch of yogurt shampoo also flopped. You know, you got to admire on one level in the 60s and 70s where they were just like, hey, we can do this. Let's try to sell it. They were really horny. Yeah, I think so. A lot of this stuff was, re- I mean, pr- pretty, pretty sexual. Oh, yeah. You see some of the magazine ads, you know, geared towards women in any of those magazines from back in the day. Plastic snow. Here's our last fabulous flop here. Plastic snow. Before snowmaking machines, how did ski resorts keep people skiing during dry spells? Well, they used to spray styrofoam pellets onto the ski runs oh man they quickly blew away (laughs) so that's in the ocean now too (laughs) another company tried astroturf with nylon bristles what (laughs) (laughs) they worked well unless you fell down yeah i could see that really just (laughs) bristles were needle sharp and everybody tore their pants oh man that's some burn Blood, blood, blood. Boy, were we embarrassed. Founder Jack Kirkland told reporters, there was blood, blood, blood. Boy, were we embarrassed. Now that's, yeah, that's marketing right there. Pretty good, huh? Fabulous flops. I still, the cheese filtered cigarettes has got to be up there with um, Dairy Queen came out with the Sour Patch Kids Blizzard. Yikes. And my teeth hurt just here in the ad. Oh, man. It's like, you ever tried the Nerds Blizzard? No. uh -uh. One bite and you can see through time. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah, it's basically just like uh, you're getting ready to to slip right into diabetes. Did you guys have Dairy Queens or McDonald's or anything like that in Saudi Arabia? Dairy Queen was actually one of the few places that that showed up. McDonald's didn't show up until way later. I think that had something to do with uh, uh, their recognition of Israel. Later, what do you? What, what's later? Late nineties? Yeah, so like mid to to or mid to early nineties. I think we started to see McDonald's. Okay. Yeah. And this is over in. This is in Saudi Arabia. This is on the uh, eastern coast. So Dahran's where I lived, and then the major town outside of that was called Kobar. Okay. And then there was a port called Damam. 
And then not too far away, uh, 12 miles across the causeway there, you got Bahrain. And did you get products like this? We got. Could I, you get ivory soap? Yeah, you got. You know, we basically we had like a company store. You know, you talk okay. about yeah. So it was a commissary. Like My mom du- would like tell the, me like stories. Duty free shop. And yeah, no more like <laughs> yeah, more like a PX or a RX or a base or something like that. Okay. Right? So it's like they would have maybe two different types of soap, and they wouldn't have that type next month. You know, we used to get our milk when I first moved there. I in, think they uh, call that Aldi cardboard containers. Uh, from milk Holland. and cardboard yeah, containers. Yeah, it was super heated, treated so that it could stay pretty much on the shelf, unrefrigerated until it was opened. I've seen that in the dollar store, and it makes me very nervous. You know what? We loved it as kids because it was this little blue cardboard container. There you was drank on the shelf milk. Yeah, well, you put it in the fridge afterwards. But yeah, yeah, you what brought you- it off the shelf, and you, yeah, that was. Yep. We put in the fridge afterwards. <laughs> I don't care afterwards. That's science, you, baby. You bought it off the shelf. No. It wasn't in the fridge. It, real quick, interesting <laughs> side note. They finally phased it out right after Chernobyl because oh. uh, they came from Holland. And Twist. so there was concern about radioactivity increasing in the dairy products. So at that point, they shifted over and actually we started to get fresh milk, local milk. So there's your last fabulous flop. It only took a long time, and it took Chernobyl to get some some of the closure. The, the the lukewarm. You can buy it off the milk. Like I said, I go to the dollar store and I see that now. And this I, was called Domo. And it was and it's and this is actual milk. It's mm-hmm. not milk like drink. No, this was actual milk. I forget they did some sort of process. It was a lot of the products we got in Saudi Arabia were engineered to be able to exist in the heat. Everything from cassette tape covers that were special oh sure all the way up to milk eggs and everything yeah i I can imagine a lot of powdered stuff i can imagine just even chickens laying eggs would have it'd be problems by noon now nowadays you know i'm sure it's totally different you know but back in the day going to the safeway in kobar was was like a pilgrimage (laughs) (laughs) did you run to the outlet mall afterwards there was no outlet mall <laughs> Sorry, Safeway. You know, I just. All right, that's good. It's a hey, folks. You're listening to Play Hard, Work Hard. I'm looking at the clock. We're a few seconds over. It is Play Hard, Work Hard on the Crude Life Content Network. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. It is Play Hard, Work Hard. Still in hour number one, Play Hard, but we still have to have the news. And so right now I'm going to hand it off to Sterling as he's got our three headlines ready for the day. And headlines are basically, we're going to read the headline and a paragraph or two and comment on 
what's going on in the news. So, Sterling, what do we got today for news? Well, I'm sure everybody's pretty excited about this stimulus bill. Uh, Congress 5,593-page Porky Relief Bill is the essence of the swamp. This is according to The Hill. I'm kind of curious here. They're talking about the hill, the, uh, so I imagine this is more of an opinion an piece. An opinion piece, yes. yeah. Okay. Well, hey, you know what? Uh, even you know, a broken clock is right twice a day, and the sun, you know, gets a was it a blind squirrel finds an acorn, something like <laughs> I've, that. So I've never heard that before. What's, what's going on with the hill? What's well, okay, on? you know, the top line basically of the bill says that uh, you're basically getting about six hundred dollars per adult, six hundred per child, and that's only to people that are eligible. Uh, so that's about half of what most adults received in the last relief package earlier this year. And uh, it's basically, it's, you know, it, it's it's two-day-old pizza, basically, is what we're getting. And you've got another $1.4 trillion going to things like a resource study of the Springfield race riot that occurred in 1908. This is the one I'm seeing blowing up on social media about transgender Pakistanian lobby money and stuff. Yeah, well, this one, uh, this is a great one. Statement of policy regarding the secession or reincarnation of the Dalai Lama. Yeah, so that's, I'm kind of curious. No dollar amount. Now I got to follow up on that one. Well, we should probably put another zero on that one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what was it? Reincarnation or? Can you really put a price on immortality? That's what I'm saying. I yeah. mean, and, and they got an or in there. Yeah. So Secession, I guess. Yeah. So there's a couple billion dollars for the Smithsonian Institute. Um, a lot of. Uh, How much for the crude life? Uh, let's see here. Uh, $600 minus tax. Oh, shoot. And and then the interest on my grandkids. Yeah. And you're, and you're not a small business. So here's here's what's really troubling about all these is they there's a lot of different groups that are not addressed. OK, first of all, I, I'm curious about the small business owners who have kids that are at home in school. So you've got all the teachers getting paid, the lunch ladies getting paid, the SRO officers getting paid, but yet the small business owners or the people who are working from home had to have had to completely adjust their lifestyle and they've had to make sure that, because let's be honest, part of school is watching your kid. Oh, yeah. There's a tremendous amount that goes into making sure your child's getting their work done at home. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so with... That amount of energy that needs to be expended or expounded in order to motivate and keep your kid focused, I haven't heard anybody, not one politician, and I was going to ask Senator Kramer, but we ran out of time with him. He went like 20 minutes longer than he was supposed to with us. I was going to ask him about that. Two things I was going to ask him about was, one was, why is there no discussion about parents and families who are homeschooling their kids? Why are they not being reimbursed in some form or another? Because some people are probably having to hire daycare or nannies or family members are having to come in, come in and help and support out and that sort of thing. 600 bucks? Yeah, it's it's a pittance. It's nothing. I mean, it's the transgender thing over in Pakistan's getting more money. Well, you know, and a lot of people are looking at uh, down the barrel of potential eviction. You know, you've got I think the moratorium on that expires the day after Christmas. So there's another conversation, and the second one is credit scores. Hmm. Yeah. How about all the people whose credit score has gotten hit in the last year? 
all the restaurant owners, all the small business owners, all those landlords whose tenants aren't paying them. So, you know, you mentioned the tenants that are coming due. Well, those landlords are coming due as well to the banks. Well, yeah. And this is what I think you see is a big difference between like, uh, say, uh, uh, a a depression or a recession is that this is something that is across all of the different levels. Everybody gets affected by this. You know, we don't want to throw somebody out, but the guy that owns the building, the landlord that owns the building, that's how they earn their monthly, you know? So yeah, it's, uh, it's discouraging. Well, and I'm looking at this as, so if you've had a government job or you've had a corporate job, you've had a year off. For the most part, you've had a year vacation. A lot of people have. I know quite a few people that are working primarily from home now that uh, they don't want to go back. They no. like the kids to go back to school, but they're they're totally happy working from home now. Right, getting yeah. that check every every week, no matter what. Yeah. Not you know, not working two three jobs. I we were talking with Vicky Leach uh, earlier for the, uh, which is available at thecrudelife.com. Uh, she did Oilfield Angels. And they raised over $20,000 and helped 17 families of uh, families that were laid off. Mm -hmm. And she said some of the stories that she heard about people who, after they're laid off, the way that their friends treat them, like they don't want anything to do with them. Like almost like they're an anchor and they don't want to bring them down. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's tough too, when you go from making a decent hourly wage, you know, and, and maybe even being like having to all of a sudden relocate out of a state because you no longer have that job. You know, it's, you're basically, you're beholden to the industry completely. Yeah. All of us, you know, $600. I mean, it's, it's an insult. Have our cake and eat it too type of thing. You know, it's why, why not more? I mean, why not 6000 well, Yeah, you talk about what Rand Paul was saying, is if we're going to do this, why not just keep printing money? You know, obviously, inflation, right? I don't pretend to understand, but I have read enough to know that countries that do that don't tend to stick around very long. A lot of nonprofits have had a year off, too. <laughs> because when you think about what a nonprofit, most of their uh, job is, is um, whining and dining rich people and, uh, you know, putting on a big gala. And now it's all virtual. Yeah. So they've a lot of that has had the year off too, and and they're getting subsidized as well. You know, I hear uh, I have a friend that's a wedding photographer. He's obviously connected into wedding industry type of stuff, yep. and they have taken a huge hit. Most of them, they're done. You know, they they will do it if they have the chance to do it, but it's getting over the government and the state and the county and the local restrictions and people's own trepidations. You know, so you got an industry where it's like, okay, this is what I was doing. I was a wedding photographer. I was making pretty decent money. I liked what I was doing. And now I maybe can never do that again. That's what's going on in the oil and gas industry yeah. is there's such a huge supply chain. You know, we're talking about. You know, the second half of the program in hour number two, Jason Modulin, president, Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, represents 2,600 companies in Texas alone. 
that's across the board from suppliers to manufacturers to are they all getting guaranteed checks every week like the government employees nonprofits, and all these others are well you know it's interesting it doesn't sound like it you know you're well, talking about like in uh, parsley energy they're talking about hundreds of layoffs hey how clothes. much is amigo energy getting i like their name i see them pop up on facebook so are they mentioned in the article i didn't see them <laughs> <laughs> okay we better get uh, to the next story well, we, we could bar bar fly bitch all day long about the stimulus package but so you this leads right word. into it you know you're talking about the interview coming up here and i'd be real curious because you got 243 or 34 austin employees oh is this number two the headline yeah okay from, what's the headline Let's sorry start headline back. here is parsley headline energy news. oh parsley energy parsley this energy announces hundreds of layoffs closure of austin offices and this was uh just from the other day the 11th so they're terminating 234 austin employees in connection with its 4.5 billion acquisition by pioneer natural resources a north texas company so i guess what we're sort of switching hands robbing paul peter to pay paul type of thing well there's a lot of you know mergers and acquisitions that are going on a lot of the um mid level companies they're the most vulnerable right now and parsley would have been a mid-level continental resources which is the largest in the bakken mm -hmm. they would be considered a mid-level Really? Okay. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's Texas we're talking so, about. So would so. Whiting. Yeah. Whiting would really? too. Oh yeah. Different yeah. scale, I guess. Well, I mean, you know, you're talking about Saudi Ramco. We're talking sure. about BP and Shell and yeah. Exxon, Conoco. Those are the big guys. Marathon. Right. So then, you know, that next level, you're pretty vulnerable right now because of all those reasons cited in this this uh, Parsley Energy story. Yeah. And what's to me though. The part of the Parsley Energy story that I take away from this is, and we talked with Senator Kramer about this, and I'm going to ask uh, Jason Modulin about this, too, because he's in Texas. So I want to know where he stood on that, actually, because in Texas this year, they talked about controlling oil production. OK, it was big, two big meetings, you know, at the Texas Railroad Commission. And it was it was Catfields and McCoys a little bit within the industry. Like and, a mini OPEC within OPEC type of thing? Yeah. And what happened is, is the Texas Railroad Commission did control production for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then once they got away from it, of course, you don't want to go back to it. And um, Parsley Energy, Matt Gallagher, the CEO, went on CNBC and said, yeah, we should have government intervention. Well, he was the first one from the ener in energy industry to do that uh, because subsidies is a dirty word in the oil and gas industry. Because now you're like solar and wind. Right. And you can't make it on your own. You know, come on, you know. So it was a little unusual for him to come out. Well, the part that gets me in this whole thing is is I'm a little sore because we had him lined up for an interview. And then all of a sudden, he ghosted us. How so? His people didn't get back to us. They ignored our emails, all this other stuff. Well, then it turns out they got sold. They filed bankruptcy mm. and then they got sold. And I went, OK, so this is a great lesson, folks. This is a really good lesson for the industry. Number one, Mike Summers from uh, API, uh, the CEO of API, immediately comes out when the Texas Railroad Commission says we're going to jump in and control pr production. He says, absolutely not. That's old school way of thinking. Matt Gallagher, the young CEO that's kind of propped up, goes on CNBC and says, well, let's have government intervention. 
So the, that's the young guy, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, he's, he's going to get the government intervention. The smaller guys aren't. Right. But his level will, right? But on the flip side, what, what happened before that is they asked industry publicly, okay, all the oil industry, to reduce their cost by 30%. So everybody reduces their costs by 30%. A guy goes on and asks for stimulus money. (laughs) A couple months later, files bankruptcy. Pioneer picks up all the assets. Does Pioneer now go back to all those people and say, add 30% now to your bid? Or do all those people now have to accept the 30% that they just, do you see what I mean? Well, yeah, it's a little, it's it's tough too, because they're talking in this, you know, they, they, they put out 4.5 for parsley. So that's Pioneer National Resources, right? At the same time, they're saying they're expected to cut $325 million per year in annual administrative expenses and other costs. So they're looking at, you know, they forked out all this money and then they're actually going to continue to contract, it sounds like. This is classic consolidation. And if you go to the crudelife.com, you can check out my interview with Kevin Kramer. And he flat out says, This is the direction we're going, and if it continues, we'll have four global oil companies making all the decisions, calling all the shots. And I thought it would be, you know, I've I've said for years, two years now, the direction we're going will be six companies, uh, I say half half a dozen, doing 90% of the market share. But now that I got a U.S. senator on record saying four controlling the globe, I'm going with that because it's not just me. It's now a U.S. senator. Yeah, you know? I figure he gets to read a little bit better information than we do probably. Hey, by the way, that stimulus, what happens if Trump doesn't sign it? <laughs> is that it? I mean, and it doesn't say anything in there. Uh, yeah, it really doesn't. Wouldn't that be great? You Just, know, it's it's amazing that this is what we get after nine months. Trump's like, no more pork. I'm out of here. <laughs> that would be awesome. All right, we got one more headline. To, we got yeah, time for one yeah, more. Yeah, and this this one should be actually kind of fun. So check this out: a flying squad of crows and parrots swoop down to collect litter in Abu Dhabi's parks. As a trainer asks, if a bird can pick up trash, why can't humans? So check this out. This guy or these group, these trainers, uh, they are training these birds and parrots. Apparently parrots were what they could get their hands on first out of the gate. And uh, uh, not only are they getting them to pick up trash, but they're getting them to sort it as well. So they've got crows and parrots picking up trash in parks and sorting it. And sorting it, yeah. Oh, folks, we've got, okay, I I mean, in one hand, you know, I got to clap for, you know, progress in some areas, but on the other hand, we got to start sounding the alarms here because the robots are taking our job on one side. Now we got the crows and the parrots, they're taking our jobs. You can't compete against crows. They got excellent eyesight. You're never going to see that cigarette up before they do. They're never going to ask for a health plan. No. Uh, they're fine with scavenging, I think. I mean, they might heckle a bit. Right. Parrots, though, they, that, they, they strike me as a high-maintenance kind of worker. But parrots, okay, that's the part that worries me the most, because if somebody trains them to see something, say something, we're all screwed. <laughs> Got a bunch of narc parrots around there. And how much stimulus money is going to these parrots picking up trash in Abu Dhabi, where all the rich people are going to go? I mean, we're talking yacht wax rich people here, man. Hey, this would be something I would actually be like, okay, that seems like a reasonable use of my tax money versus any of the other stuff we've read about today. This is Dubai, right? This is Abu Dhabi, yeah. So it's a it's a German bird trainer named Alonzo Malo. And uh, 
apparently started with three parrots and now they have a collection of 20 plus birds that they're breeding to train to do it. And the hope is that when people see the birds doing it, the people will do it. Oh my God. So they're training birds to pick up litter so that the birds will train the people. They're training birds to be a good influence, to be one a the, good example. One of the weirdest cycles I've ever heard of. It might work on my teenager. Oh man. <laughs> Boy, I tell you what, folks, we have really come to a new existential energy portion of the program here. Crows and robots. Crows, robots, parrots stealing our jobs. Don't forget that $600 worth of ramen. All right, so headline news, folks. There's your news, rumors, and news speaks. We'll be back in a a moment or two. We got a little bit of a break, and then we've got some... uh, Biblically bad dates coming up here, folks. It is a play hard, work hard, the Crude Life Morning Show. It is the Crude Life Content Network. Some falls down now, it's pixie dust. I carry what I need, baby, you I can trust. I carry a note in the pocket of life and a pencil and erase by my The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. So cherry my pineapple, baby, let me be your mango man. All right, well, 
Welcome back to the Crude Live Morning Show. Play hard work, hard work. Industry comes to talk, and we blew through our time, so biblically bad dates will have to be rescheduled to tomorrow. Sterling, I apologize. We're still trying to, you know, that's why we do pilot shows, because we want to figure out the timing on different things. But Jason Modlin coming up in the second hour here, president of the Texas Alliance Energy Producers. And folks, you're going to want to check it out. Survey done, 140 companies. He represents 2,600 companies in Texas alone. So you can find out exactly what's going on in Texas. You got to remember the Permian. A lot of people believe that the Permian is going to be 70% of the shale extraction over the next 30 years. So uh, Jason Modlin president texas alliance of energy producers in just a moment or two here on the crude life morning show play hard work hard as we conclude with play hard uh, our one also would like to thank our sponsor of the day and our sponsor of the day is absolute energy field products and services they're an engineering design and manufacturer of oil and gas production equipment refining and petrochemical processing equipment Let me tell you what, folks, they are ASME Boiler and Pressure Vessel Code Section 8, Division 1, can be designed, fabricated, and tested with accordance with NAC NACE standards. So, folks, Absolute Energy Field Products and Services out of Houston, Texas. Check them out. We have the links available at thecrudelife.com. Thank you, Absolute Energy Field Products and Services, for being the sponsor of the day. All right, we are going to take a break and we come back. We have Jason Modlin, President, Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, right here on the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Oh, come on, I want to lay you on the black refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. program here today appreciate it and as we kind of wind down our 2020 i guess i was gonna say 2021 but as we wind down 2020 thought it'd be a good idea to bring on mr modulin to find out a little bit about his perspective what he's seen and also what we're going to look at for 2021 they just did a study and we want to get to that as well but first off how are you doing today and uh let's start off with that i guess how's life treating you i'm good jason thank you very much and uh, uh merry christmas and happy holidays to your listeners so what is the organization that you're a part of it's the T- texas alliance of energy producers did i have that right because i'm going off memory you did absolutely. Right. yes i'm the president of the texas alliance of energy producers just started this year uh, in 2020, in June, uh, but we have a 90-year history uh, dating back uh, to 1930 with the North Texas Oil and Gas Association out of Wichita Falls, and we merged with another association in 2000 to become the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and we represent over 2,600 individuals and member companies in Texas, largely focused on independent operators. Uh, advancing their interest and uh, also the standards of the oil and gas industry. You said 2,600? 2,600, yes, sir. We're, we are, uh, at last count, the largest independent uh, organization focused on upstream operators. And uh, so so we have a big uh, mantle uh, and mission to fill. That is incredible. And you, you said just in Texas. Yes, sir. That is absolutely incredible to think about the supply chain and the economy and just communities. 2,600 businesses, holy smokes, that's a lot. My goodness. Um, that's, that's just quite a supply chain there. Anyway, so you guys recently just did a study. Let's talk about that. It's the uh, Texas Alliance of Energy Producers Survey 
of more than 160 oil and gas professionals. So let's talk a little bit about what that is, what the results are, and what the tea leaves are reading for 2021, sir. So let's uh, start off with the methodology and just kind of, you know, how you guys came about it. Absolutely. We surveyed over 160 oil and gas professionals. Uh, We wanted to be in the field right as the election was coming to a close. So we surveyed uh, folks that were in sea level, but also down to to, um, uh, roustabout and, and, and drillers. And what we found is that there's broad, cautious optimism as we're heading into 2021. Uh, with recovery from COVID, um, but also some of the uh, uh, potential positive signs, uh, both in the state of Texas, where we resisted a blue wave of uh, out of state environmental funding that was coming in, trying to flip a number of Texas House seats, as well as a seat on the Railroad Commission. And then hopefully all eyes are, are on Georgia, where hopefully Republicans can. Uh, hold those two seats and prevent a Democratic majority from really giving Biden uh, and House Democrats roughshod to enact a Green New Deal. Some of the other big high takeaways out of the survey um, is just the optimism of the industry coming back in late 2021. Uh, Far and away, the respondents were positive uh, to that aspect. Uh, 2020 was a a very tough year, seeing both uh, economic downturn, but also some contraction within the industry, but lots of positive signs as we're coming into the next year. Just kind of taking a look at a few of the bullet points here. Sorry about that. Uh, A couple of things is biggest macro level concerns, price of oil, Number two, demand for oil. Number three, federal over-regulation. Not only regulation, but over-regulation. Those are, uh, are, are, the, are those pretty common, I guess? I know you guys are new in terms of uh, the organization, but it's a, it's a you know conglomeration, merger, if you will. I don't know how long the survey or offshoots of these types of surveys are being done. Those seem to be pretty, pretty normal concerns, but uh, the, the regulation, I, I, I guess that would, I guess 43%, probably pretty high, I would think. I don't know. I guess I'm just asking what, what your reaction is to those macro level concerns of price of oil, 59%, demand for oil and gas, 47 and federal over-regulation, 43%. I think if you had done this survey in any other year, and this is the first year of our survey to do this, uh, normally what the Alliance does is put out a monthly Texas Petro Index, which is our uh, economic scale for where the industry is. And and we've done that for uh, going on two decades now with our executive vice president and petroleum economist, Carr Ingham. Uh, again, putting out that Texas Petro Index each month. But we really wanted to see kind of where the industry was after this very tough year. And as we were seeing a change uh, in administration, we wanted to get a sense of where folks were. And and I thought what was interesting in that macro concern was demand actually being such a high concern. Certainly a year ago, uh, you wouldn't have seen – uh, demand be the top of the 
ticket for producers wondering where demand was going to be going into the new year. And that's really because we're continuing to see European countries and states here in, in the United States grappling with potential lockdowns uh, that can dramatically decrease demand for oil and gas. But we're also seeing some bright signs overseas with India and China come back uh, uh, to the same level of demand that they had in diesel. And uh, um, there's some bright signs as well for some of the airline companies continuing to make orders for Boeing airplanes. We, we know those aren't uh, wind-powered, uh, and so they've got to buy jet fuel, and so those are positive signs. You brought up uh, a few things that made me think of the Texas Railroad Commission stepping in and you know controlling production in the last year. There was, I think, two meetings on that, two pretty pretty heated, uh, passionate type of uh, meetings where the commission was going to come in and either control or get involved or something like that. And um, it was the concern for demand, I guess, that triggered that. But were you guys around before then or were you formed after that? I guess, talk to me. Go ahead. Yeah. And and I'm sorry if I misspoke earlier. We, We were, we were formed as the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers in 2000. So, so oh, we've I'm been sorry. around for, for 20 years, um, but but our, our parent uh, uh, associations, um, uh, this organization uh, traces back 90 years. Um, uh, so so a long history in the oil field, uh, working on behalf of independent producers, um, representing their interests both in Austin and Washington D.C. Um, and then also with some cost-saving programs that we offer um, for insurance lines that, that uh, allow producers to save a little money and, and keep operating. And yes, we were around during those uh, proration conversations. The alliance and its board decided to uh, come out against um, uh, the uh, proposal from Commissioner Sitton to prorate production statewide. Um, And and really a lot of the macro concerns were that um, the number of, that that government always lags a little bit in in where they get it right. And the United States is is so much different than the rest of the world. We have uh, private ownership of minerals here. um, And that's really how those private contracts result in the best uh, levels of production, and, and we really saw that from producers scaling back this year. A number of our members just don't want to be in the position of coming to the Railroad Commission every month uh, with, a, with a mother may I approach, can I, can I produce a little more? And when the Commission started that process in the late 20s, uh, it took about 50 years to get off that cycle. Um, so uh, there's some long memory amongst our members, and, and they didn't want to see us return to that. I think that's one of the most critical issues in oil and gas right now. I really do. Um, and you're, you know, you're kind of your, you know, Mama. Can I get some more, some more business analogy? Is is pretty spot on. You know, it, it really is. And there's another part of it too because we were paying pretty close attention to it because when that first was introduced Mike Summers from API 
he came out and right away, I, I, I swear, I laughed because it just seemed like when I was reading the story, the reporter didn't even finish his sentence. And he's like, absolutely not. You know, it's like the knee jerk reaction, the old school way, just all that. And then um, Matt Gallagher from Parsley Energy popped up on CNBC and was inviting the proration, the intervention and so the little bit of control and that sort of thing. And that caught my attention because I thought that was pretty symbolic. You know, you have kind of an old school way, older gentleman with Mike Summers, and then you've got a younger uh, CEO totally going a, a different ideologic, ideological approach to it. And I thought, boy, the industry's a little bit of crossroads here. And um, interesting, you guys came out and, and took a stance. That, that's that's. Did you guys discuss that? Was that at all a difficult discussion? Was there any sort of uh, inner fighting, or was it all pretty pretty much what you guys thought? I, I wouldn't say it was a, it was a difficult conversation internally, um, but but there was definitely disagreement. Uh, we certainly had members that testified at that hearing that were in support of some type of limitation on production. Uh, and then we likewise had members that were just as passionate on the other side. I think the steps that the railroad commissioners took to fully vet the issue and to determine if they had the capabilities to do a good job um, uh, was ultimately what educated the, the rest of the industry that, that um, uh, this would be um, uh, unsuccessful if the commission were to go down that path. Um, and I, I think that's, um, that, that was a good thing that the, the commissioners weighed, uh, their options there, that they took testimony, that they took lengthy testimony. Uh, um, don't know if you tuned into that, but, uh, 11 hour hearing, um, nearly 50,000 people across the, the, the world, uh, tuning in to a, a zoom broadcast, uh, by state government was, was pretty incredible to see. Um, so, so, I mean, kudos again to, to the railroad commissioners for the work that they undertook to, we believe, come to the right conclusion. Now, you can certainly pass on this next question. Uh, Senator, U.S. Senator Kramer called it a, a complex question, but a very important one. And it has to do with, you know, what we're talking about, you know, when, when government steps in and and starts, you know, doing what they do. Uh, in North Dakota, we've, we've got a little bit of a program going on to cap some wells and to stimulate a little bit of the oil and gas revenue. So it's kind of happened there. Wyoming did a rebound program. And so it's, you know, and you mentioned Texas did it for 50 years or whatever it was, the number of years you mentioned. And so it's not unusual. Um, but the reality is, is when that happens, generally governments try to centralize. And so that's where the pick pick winners and losers and that type of stuff comes out, and then you start getting some inner fighting and this and that. The part that wasn't lost on me, and I'm very curious to know your opinion about it because of the people you represent, was the poor Fraxan guys, okay? They've had to sharpen their books, their pencils now for the fifth time in the last 10 years, so they're generally one of the first ones that have to cut costs. You know, we're, I guess technically we're in the marketing business because we're in communication. So we usually have to cut our costs pretty quick, too. Um, I know I heard the truckers that, oh boy, those truckers sacrifice more than probably anybody that we know about. And so when a lot of these companies 
And I think it was reported 30% is what the industry was expecting uh, early part of the COVID shutdowns and this and that. And well, then um, some of these companies went bankrupt and they were asking for government intervention. So that, that to me, I thought was a little bit uh, telling of why we need to have these conversations, why people need to be accessible and why some of the tough uh, crossroads that industry gets at at times is is really beneficial because, you know, like I said, those poor frac sand guys, I, I don't I, I don't even know how they're making money anymore. So um, anyway, like I said, it's a, it's a complex question. It's a difficult question, but it's a very real one. So well, anyway. you're absolutely right. I mean, the 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 industry is going to see some consolidation and mergers uh, uh, for quite a while. And, that, and that's both at the operator level, but then also in service companies and in some of these suppliers that uh, have relied on a robust industry. And, and unfortunately, we are in contraction uh, right now, and we're going to continue to see um, mergers where appropriate, where uh, um, investors uh, think that there's there's value and, and upswing there uh, to capture, um, and it's it, it's extremely unfortunate when we've had these advances um, in Braxad, uh, particularly in Texas, but but um, uh, formally in Wisconsin. I mean, to really uh, bring new industries to parts of, of uh, the Midwest. Uh, and south and take advantage of that stop uh, importing um, these these limited resources from from other countries and really mine it here uh, in the United States is is phenomenal and hopefully we will get back uh, to some level of, uh, of higher activity than what we're at now but um, uh, really until we kind of get out of this COVID funk um, uh, we're going to be under it for a while. Are you guys going to be impacted by any of the federal lease bans that we're talking about? We've had uh, Kathleen Skama. She's the director for the uh, Western Energy Alliance. Uh, Senator Kramer. And this is just the last couple of weeks that, that this has been a really hot topic because of mostly the Western states are going to get impacted. You know, you get you go west of That's the Black right. Hills and you can't even go five feet without having federal land in some way or another, seems like. So it, it gets pretty yeah, intense. So go ahead. Sorry. So Texas is is ninety seven percent privately owned. Oh, uh, you're like North Dakota. Um, so okay. that will that will insulate us somewhat uh, from some of the onshore federal regulations. But certainly, if they reduce uh, the Gulf of Mexico and, and some of the offerings there, or limit operators from from uh, certain completion techniques, uh, that's going to have an impact on us, uh, no doubt. Uh, uh, we do anticipate uh, the losses in New Mexico will result in, in some of Texas's gain, but uh, that's, not a, uh, that's not anything we're looking forward to. We, we, we certainly um, like when both sides of the Permian Basin is going uh, full steam and so are not looking forward to the days um, when some of our neighbors are experiencing uh, federal over-regulation. But um, how uh, these, these lease um, uh, regulations will impact us. That's going to be largely an offshore and maybe uh, uh, running some people out of New Mexico and, and into Texas. Now, you're, you're based in Austin, your organization, and, and do you live there mostly? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. And live here in Austin. And I'm, and, and I'm in Fargo, which is, you know, the Austin of North Dakota, or which is the Boulder of Texas. 
So you know, you, you've you've got a lot of uh, what did what did you call it? The uh, blueberry and tomato soup. I thought that was a great yeah, analogy. Sure. <laughs> so um, it's it's kind of Secretary Perry's uh, uh, when, uh, Rick Perry, our former governor, when when he became uh, Energy Secretary, he he often described it as the the blueberry and the tomato soup. Okay, I've met him before. He's been in North Dakota a few times. Um, yes, sir. When he was Energy Secretary, uh, but. The, the reason I bring that up is because I, I believe that when you're living in those cities a little more day-to-day and you work in the industry, you're a little more attuned to kind of some of the, the vibe and the energy uh, towards oil and gas professionals. And it's, it's, it's a different vibe. And I feel it when I go to Fort Collins. I feel it when I go to, to Boulder, Austin. I felt it when I was down there. And so that's, that's one side of it. The other side is actual regulation. So you've got the, the whole social branding that's going on, and, and we'll discuss that in a second. But right now I wanted to ask you about in Texas, are there any like uh, regulations that we need to be aware of if, at a Colorado or a California or a New York style level of concern? Uh, no, uh, thankfully, our legislature and uh, um, Governor Greg Abbott ha- have really been uh, forceful in their support of oil and gas. Um, uh, I think there will be some opportunity to be proactive this session and really look at some of these financial institutions that openly discriminate against oil and gas and really taking the fight back to them in limiting their ability to contract with state agencies and, and uh, jurisdictions of the state, um, because really it's it's uh, pointing out the hypocrisy if you are willing to take our deposits, and those deposits are uh, raised on oil and gas, um, and then turn around and, and tell us virtue signaling that you're not going to lend to oil and gas projects. That's not something that uh, we need to be supportive of, and so we're going to be actively supporting our legislature and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick in efforts to really look at um, are we uh, enabling these financial institutions to go down this path by giving them a free pass. Um, Thankfully, our legislature uh, a few years ago when we saw some local jurisdictions want to ban fracking and other types of completion techniques, they passed House Bill 40 that eliminated their ability to uh, regulate below ground on on oil and gas. And so uh, they left that jurisdiction at the Texas Railroad Commission, at the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, where we have great regulators in place um, that do a fine job and that the industry is, is supportive of. Sorry, I'm just writing down some notes here as you're talking. I hope all of the listeners are doing it as well. Um, good stuff here. And uh, not to name drop uh, here, but I, I'd like to cite some other people when we're having the conversations as well. And uh, one of the questions that um, Senator Kramer and I discussed this week was the, the disconnect that's happening. And we were talking about North Face, what's going on there. So you've got North Face, which uses petroleum products to distribute it all over the place. They arguably have got petroleum products within the the material that uh, the jackets are made out of. And then they have an entire FR clothing line known as Bulwark. So 
They're reject and not. Furthermore, they're rejecting business at a time when people need business. So, we, we you know we kind of talked about that a little bit. Talked a little bit about you know the, um, the politicians you know living in the planet of platitudes, going out there talking about banning an industry, just flat out banning an industry. Well, you know ninety three, ninety six percent of of our quality of life and our lifestyles depend on it. So we. You, it's very difficult to have a conversation with someone like that because you're, you're better off talking to a brick wall. So the question is actually, how did we get here and why is there such a disconnect? Does that make sense? I, yes, it, it makes perfect sense. And I thought you had a really good show last week with Jeff Roach out of, out of Houston really looking at uh, all the brands that are associated with VF Corporation, and, and you hit the nail on the head with, with Bulwark FR. Um, uh, interestingly enough, they have a blog post today on oil and gas being their heart and soul. So I, I thought that was interesting that um, uh, maybe they're feeling a little pressure uh, and want to make sure that they can still uh, uh, sell their, their um, uh, FREs. Uh, so, um, you know, what What I think is is telling about some of these uh, boycott statements and things of that nature that, that they're just not going to support oil and gas is just the disconnect in in not seeing how oil and gas benefits them on a daily basis, uh, whether it's their phones and, and computers that they're utilizing uh, with, with plastics, um, but then also just electricity and heating your homes um it's it's much broader and then you get into the medical community which was so critical uh this year and and next year as we're rolling out uh vaccines and and keeping people safe all of that ppe equipment uh is plastic um and and petroleum derivative um, not to mention that those vaccines need to be kept at a very cold temperature and distributed uh, all over the world. Um, and, and even for North Face or, or Patagonia a few years ago uh, with, with the same problem, their material is a petroleum byproduct. It, it, it's not uh, – those wool socks are not being sheared from sheep. They're, they're – <laughs> It's, it is nylon and it is other materials uh, that uh, have been manufactured uh, with the use of petroleum. So it's just um, uh, it's frustrating to see. It, it, it's um, uh, thankful that here in Texas we are starting to increase the level of energy education in this state, uh, both with uh, elementary school kids, but but also up through high school to just bring them a sense of this is how your state uh, raises significant portions of its tax revenue. Um, but this is also um, uh, a critical industry to this state, along with agriculture and, and some of our uh, aerospace uh, industries in the state, that, that it's the backbone of the state. It's how we fund higher education. It's how we fund roads and water infrastructure. Uh, there's a great museum exhibit at our Texas State History Museum all about oil and gas and the uh, innovation that has occurred here in Texas uh, with horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing has really unleashed the shale industry here in the United States and, and now in other parts of the world. So um, it's really a phenomenal story that 
um, is unfortunately being left out in a number of classrooms across the nation. Um, and so folks feel insulated. They don't see oil and gas on a regular basis, or when they do, they don't like parts of oil and gas, uh, and they want to reject it. And yet they miss out on all of the things in their life that are products directly from oil and gas. I'd like to know your opinion on the public perception of oil and gas. There was recently a op-ed in the Midland newspaper, and I'm not sure if the Houston Chronicle picked it up, but it was, but it was from, oh, it was one of the state uh, uh, legislators, I believe. And he basically talked about, I believe they flat out said, uh, big, big tobacco is that, you know, stop comparing us to big tobacco. And I know North Face said that they rejected it because of porn, alcohol, tobacco. I mean, I'm like, I'm reading that going, well, dude, you're just putting oil and gas in with the syntaxers. What's going on here? You cannot heat your homes with Marlboros and your car does not drive on Joe Camels. This is, this is, okay, like I said, you can't even have a conversation with this type of an individual because they're not dealing with logic anymore. And the CEO to do this from a business standpoint, I I really, truly have to ask, where are the shareholders? And if they're a public company, I haven't done enough research, but if they're a public company or if they're getting any public dollars and they're rejecting business, I got to ask, is that acceptable in today's business now? Are we at a point now where big companies get bailed out so they can just do this? They can reject business at this level? I, it, it, I, I don't even know how to even interpret it because they're, they're, the attack is so um, opinionated and personal, it has nothing to do with business. And okay. now we're into a whole new level. So uh, I just kind of want to get your reaction a little bit on just how we've gotten to the point to where they can just, a company can just do that and it's okay. And well, yeah, it's, it's lunacy. I mean, I agree with you completely. Um, uh, but again, it, it's the, it's the hypocrisy of it all. If, if, uh, North face, um, was not using oil and gas to distribute their products, to manufacture their products, um, and to innovate with petroleum products, um, you know, this, this, this would not have resonated with anyone. Uh, they would have moved on. But the fact that, that you're having uh, a, a CEO in Houston be compared to those types of syntax industries and um, uh, actively discouraged from purchasing a product um, is it, just crazy. Um, the, Adam Anderson, the Innovex CEO, uh, really drew on a number of the uh, writings of Alex Epstein and the moral case for fossil fuels. And and that's really, we're just missing that education component that there is so much of the world right now that is looking to affordable, abundant, reliable energy. And we produce it here in the United States. We've thankfully since 2015 enabled it to be exported overseas. We're seeing a dramatic reduction in 
greenhouse gases, but also other types of emissions because natural gas is supplanting dirtier fuels. And I'm not just talking about coal. I'm talking about folks that are burning wood and cow dung. I mean, the the, the amount of uh, diseases that will be reduced from burning clean natural gas as opposed to burning wood inside homes is unbelievable. Uh, not to mention that, that you're bringing countries out of poverty by giving them the tools to bring water to the surface, to clean water uh, and distribute it effectively is is incredible and something that should be celebrated, something that should be supported. You can still be uh, an environmentalist and, and want to see a cleaner environment, but, but then you really need to look to where your clean fuels. It, it's natural gas. Uh, it, it's nuclear. It's not uh, uh, this whole-scale move to renewables, and, and uh, there's a great – um, think tank here in Austin, uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation, but um, Jason Isaac, um, who does a lot of work on energy, he's got this, this, this great point where he says, we are importing pollution and exporting jobs. When we move uh, overseas, when we move our reliance on, on energy sources overseas, that's all we're doing. We're exporting jobs and we're importing pollution. Rather than taking the opportunity to produce it here, uh, that's that's really what we need to be doing, and and that needs to be celebrated. And so uh, that's why the, you know the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers added our voice uh, to to the fight on North Face is just to point out, look, this is this is the good. This is what we need to celebrate. This is what we need to honor. This is what we need to point out and educate to folks rather than uh, simply being quiet, moving on to a different, uh, you know, clothing manufacturer. Uh, that's why it was, it was so great to see Adam and Innovex uh, take a stand. So how do we educate the adults? You know, you mentioned about some of the work you guys are uh, doing with, with the school kids and, and that, and I'm, I'm looking at the last 10 years and I'm thinking, boy, we got to educate the adults here. Because 10 years ago, we were having plastic bags or paper bag debates, and Hawaii was coming up with... By the way, Hawaii's got a really good straw program where they don't allow plastic straws. And so I, I, when I was in Hawaii a few years ago, I, I thought, now here is a great example of industry and community working together to solve a problem. Okay. And... I don't know how we went away from plastic bags and straws to just outright banning an industry. I just, it just, I don't know how we got to that. So how do we educate the adults here when you've got, apparently you can just turn away business for hypocritical reasons. And, um, you know, you're in Austin and we've talked about New York and Boulder and some of the other uh, planet of platitude attitudes that seem to be, seem to be winning in the in, in the re, in the regulatory arena and um, in court for some reason but uh, talk to me a little bit about that how, how can we connect with some of these adults and get them to understand that you know we've been evolving cleanly as a human species for the last 150 years we've been decarbonizing just fine before the Sierra Club and Greta Thunberg came along which is true 
We have. That's right. You, you mentioned hay and wood. Well, we used to do uh, whale and uh, coal and a few other things. Now we're down to four hydrocarbons. Pretty good. That's pretty good. Not to mention all those electrical vehicles need that natural gas to charge those batteries. And That's right. Yeah, we don't want to even get into the whole hypocrisy of all the renewable energy stuff. I'm just trying to figure out how we need to re-educate or connect with some of the adults that are out there. Like I said, 10 years ago, it was plastic bags and straws, and now they want to get rid of an industry. So uh, the disconnect's getting way too far is what I'm getting at. So um, what do you think? How can we we shake these guys a little bit? Turn off their heat? It, it is a pocketbook issue, and so uh, w- when you're not seeing um, oil and gas uh, uh, at, at very high levels, um, uh, you know, we have kind of this inverse in, in, in policy. When it's $100 oil, uh, it, it is drill, baby, drill, and we need you doing everything you can uh, to get the price of oil back down to, to, to manageable levels for our economy. Um, but then on the, in the reverse, when it's at $45, it's, why don't you just go away? And, and that's the, that's the challenge we have in educating, um, uh, those adults that, that you speak of that, that, uh, <laughs> had to kind of give it an, an air quote, um, of just the importance of oil and gas, both to the our economy, uh, but also to everything that we're doing in this country right now from uh, bringing back manufacturing and revitalizing our coastlines. I mean, that that has occurred because of the advances in oil and gas, because of the production in the Dakotas and in the Permian Basin um, to really revitalize parts of our Midwest and to reestablish those trade corridors uh, with our ports, um, that, that didn't just happen um, by happenstance. Uh, uh, it was because of the investments in oil and gas and in that uh, um, supply chain that is bringing about that innovation. And, you know, really on renewables, they haven't seen cost associated there. Uh, there's been so much on in the way of incentives and in mandates on renewables that it really hasn't percolated down uh, to the end consumer uh, where they're looking at different choices between energy sources. Um, and so they see one industry uh, that is seemingly free um, but they're paying for it on the back end. From my, from my understanding, there's not one example to show that renewables work. From my understanding, there's not because they have to be subsidized so much or the end cost goes up because they forgot to carry the one or, you know, there's always a reason. And you take a look at Germany, the country 10 years ago, five years ago, that was touted as the first green country, blah, blah, blah. Well, four, you know, uh, ten, five, five, ten years later, everybody's energy bill is four times what it was when they started. So they didn't disclose that to anybody and say, hey, we're going to go green. And by the way, your energy bill is going to go up four times what it was. Germany also considers biomass to be green. So... The green movement considers cutting down forests to burn them, 100-year-old forests. There was protests in Germany 
about these 100-year-old forests because they had to go cut them down to get energy to the people. So, and last year, this is no kidding, they had to go turn the coal plants on anyway. So that's the, right. Yeah, and 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 thankfully we saw California uh, this past year kind of look into that Germany model, where they would rely on renewables solely. They would shut down nuclear plants, shut down gas plants, um, and uh, re- rely on the sunshine and, and the wind to get them through. Um, but when that failed, when demand increased, and they needed to rely on gas power from other states, it wasn't there uh, because there was high demand in the West. And that's similar to what we're seeing in Germany, where now all of a sudden they are reliant upon gas imports from Russia and from France uh, to to get through and make it work. Um, And it's really telling that without that balance, uh, without embracing all energy sources and allowing them to compete against each other, you start to see these big shortfalls and, and um, uh, just some, some outrageous examples of, of brownouts and blackouts. Well, it's just, it's a little bit alarming to me that, you know, we don't really hear much about this. All we hear about is the future is going to be great if we just follow my clean up the act thing, you know, and, and, well, even worse, and you, you saw media kind of flip it on its head and say that, the reason that we're having brownouts is because of wildfires, and the reason we're having wildfires is because of climate change in the oil and gas industry. And so the only way that we can get rid of the wildfires is if we phase out oil and gas. Uh, that, that was the, the craziness that happened in California, um, that, that, that they don't have power. Now they've got wildfires. They don't have the ability to, to get out uh, and, and fight those fires because they're, they're not going to utilize fuel to get firefighters out there. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's, it's. Did you ever follow the, did, did you ever read the, uh, God, I can't remember if it was the Atlantic or if it was, it was a reputable uh, publication uh, that was actually a little bit left leaning. And they, they, tried to figure out what caused the wildfires like four or five years ago. And it was like a year-long type of investigation. And what it boiled down to, and I think it's a PMJ, or I forget the the company, I think PMJ is the East Coast, but there's a West Coast company that basically uh, was mandated to, you know, turn off the oil and gas and everything else and, and only do wind and solar and all these different things. And they had to cut costs and tree trimming costs were one yep. of the first ones to go. And yeah, well, I'm sorry, what was it? PG&E. PG&E, the, the thank you. Yeah. Out there. Yes, sir. And so you're, you're, you're somewhat familiar with, with what I'm talking about, I can already tell. And so really at the end of the day, the regulations is what caused those wildfires. And people can talk all all kinds of smoke and mirrors, but if you, if if you can allow the smoke to clear, they can see very quickly what did cause it. So I don't know if you saw that, that or that, if you. That's right. No, uh, um, Michael Schellenberger has done phenomenal work in in California to point out uh, not only the the uh, moves away from from um, electricity. Uh, provided by natural gas, but but also to talk about just the, the the bad forest management practices out there and how their embrace 
of this um, uh, crazy environmentalism has limited their ability to control fuel sources within forests. And so rather than there be a normal response to wildfires, controlling fuel levels and, and making sure that uh, uh, fire can't spread beyond uh, a given area, uh, they allow folks to build homes within forests, limit their ability to, to uh, control fuel on the ground level. And then we see these just terrible wildfires brought on by piss poor regulation. And if anybody would like to know the history of the piss poor regulation, they can read Alton Chase's book of Yellowstone Park. And I mean, there is raw sewage being pumped out of there. We don't even know how to yeah. we, we don't even know how to manage our national parks which we've got budgets for and people dedicated 100% for, and we think we're going to tell everybody else how to live their life. It's the arrogance, I think, that people get a little bit accosted by. The other part, though, that really I'm going to find interesting over the next year, I I believe this next year is going to be a very... um, It's going to be a lot of fighting, let's put it that way, because... The oil and gas industry is made up of a lot of small businesses, and it's really the last bastion for capitalism at the end of the day because, I mean, you go to the tech industry, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, when they built, when they started Apple Computer back in the late 70s, they had to go get Hewlett Packard to say okay. I mean, think about that. Back in the 70s, they had such stringent property, intellectual property laws for part-time employees that Steve Wozniak had to get the okay from Hewlett-Packard before he could go start Apple Computer. So the oil and gas industry is about the last bastion for capitalism. The ag industry is so subsidized now. We, I mean, that there's, what, are there half a dozen beef farmers left and a few dairy farmers. So, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much gone, gone the, the consolidation way. The oil and gas industry is about the last bastion for capitalism. And when you start talking about small businesses being impacted. The reason a lot of people are oil and gas small business owners are because they're family people, because that way one of the family members can stay home and raise the kids or they have control of their schedule, this and that. Um, Do do you agree with my um, observation about a lot of the oil and gas uh, communities are are small business owners and, and just kind of that capitalism approach to oil and gas? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, um, uh, we've got so many examples of uh, CEOs um, that uh, how they started in this business was driving a propane truck or uh, being a tool pusher. I mean, and and phenomenal uh, growth in their careers, um, providing for additional opportunities for their communities uh, to come up in the industry. And it's really a testament to American ingenuity and entrepreneurship. And and that's why the oil and gas industry here uh, in the United States is is so unique the world over. And and we continue to see uh, new businesses being started um, and innovating and, and really changing the trajectory of the entire industry. I mean, uh, um, it, it's just a phenomenal story that um, 
continues to attract people to this industry. Very smart, bright individuals um, that, that want to change the world. I mean, to borrow from the, the University of Texas slogan here, I mean, it, it, it's, it's fantastic to see. Um, that's really what gets us excited that the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is representing these independent operators uh, and the and the gifts that they bring to this state and, and to this industry. I love that they enable opportunity and they don't really enable entitlement. Um, they, right. you know, you've got a guy who's, you say, we're going to drive a propane truck or the example I always give is you got some roustabout looking at a vibrating tube every day for 10 years and he's figured out how to make it vibrate twice as fast and twice as cheap and all of a sudden, a year later, he's a president of some company, you know, and in Big Spring, Texas, with twelve employees, right. and he's got, yeah, you know, right. yeah. I mean, absolutely. You, I mean, without a, a college education, and he's got a two point five million dollar company. He's making six figures. He's not, you know, just a. I love that. I absolutely love that. That, that it's a phenomenal business. Yeah. Oh, that you can do that. And the part that makes it so special, though, is that the company that this guy was working for, watching that vibrating tube every day, is going to be his first customer. He's not going to try to steal the idea from him or put him out of business. He's going to say, thank you for saving me money and good luck on your risk. We'll be your first customer. I think that's fantastic. But, you know. So that's why I get a little bit uh, passionate when it comes to this industry, because I feel like actually the crude life's trying to protect that because that's really y'all what builds communities. Yeah. So I'm sorry. What was that? I said, y'all are doing great work. Yeah. Let me say that a few more times to, to uh, uh, make it clear that uh, uh, if you're, if you're re- recording that um, y'all are doing a great job and we appreciate it. That's that's actually why I had to repeat it because I talked over you and I said, "Oh, I got to get that in a promo someday." I've I've got all these like timestamps down that if I ever get some more employees, I might uh, get some promos working and that sort of thing. But we are starting a daily show first of the year uh, because the industry does need a place to talk and they need a place to talk every day and they need a place to feel like they can talk about whatever. And even if we do disagree, that's okay. Hey, cause we're all trying to help each other out at the end of the day. And right now it's really getting old making, you know, spending nine bucks to get, you know, $1. It's just, it's getting really old. And uh, some people not only are, being optimistic, but they want that optimism to come now. And I think we're going to get there. We're, we're, we're almost done with this year. So 2021 is around the, around the, the corner. Let's get some optimism talk to end the interview here. So uh, what do you see in forms of uh, good news for 2021, sir? How, how, let's, let's end with some optimism. Uh, Mr. Jason Modulin, like Dodge, but Modulin. That's right. That's right. Uh, We're seeing optimism in the COVID vaccines being rolled out. We're also seeing optimism in some of the progress being made uh, overseas as um, uh, economies are coming back out of lockdown. We're seeing demand uh, increase to levels that they were previous to to COVID getting here. Um, So those are optimistic uh, points. We're also seeing uh, some optimism at the state level. That there continues to be some strong leadership from uh, certainly uh, Republican elected officials here in Texas uh, with Governor Abbott and our legislature 
prioritizing the oil and gas industry and the men and women in the oil and gas industry. Uh, we're confident that the Texas Railroad Commission will continue to be led by great leaders like Commissioner Christy Craddock and Commissioner Wayne Christian. Um, so we're, we're pleased to, to see a lot of optimism going into 2021 um, and uh, we'll, we'll continue bearing that torch for our members. Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest if you're interested in sustainable forests growing industry jobs check out the industrialforest.com that's the industrialforest.com morning show I'd like to thank jason modulin for coming by president of the texas alliance of energy producers sterling for being the co-host we will do biblically bad dates 
in the next program. We just ran out of time today, folks. That's why we're doing these pilot programs before the first of the year, because come the first week of January, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we've got to have everything in place. So we're kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together and we're getting it together for you folks. So you've got a daily platform to talk and we've got the president of liberty oil coming on tomorrow as well as i believe the vp of bulwark did i see that they reached out to us holy smokes look at that folks we're in communication now with bulwark's executives so we are following the story for you the hard-working oil and gas folk that make up the industry the hard-working cafe folk that make up the industry, the flower shops, the executives, the truckers, the roustabouts, the podcasters. Hey, we got to pat ourselves on the back, Sterling, when we get a chance. So all that coming up in the next episode as we continue to put together pilot programs so you get the look and the feel of what this daily morning show is going to look like. The Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Hour number one, we play hard. Hour number two, we work hard. And today we had a good conversation with Jason Modulin, president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And in hour number one, fabulous flops. Of course, our news, rumors, and news speak, as well as Sterling's Saudi Arabia stories, giving us a little bit more insight of what his childhood was living on a compound in Saudi Arabia of Ramco workers and employees. And just, it was a literal oil and gas community. I don't think you can get any more literal than that, to uh, quote the gentleman from Parks and Rec. Chris Traeger, that's his name. All right, that's going to do it, folks. We'll see you on the next episode. My name is Jason Spees for Sterling. You're listening to Play Hard, Work Hard on the Crude Life Content Network. Music on today's program is written and performed by the Moody River Band. For more information on the Moody River Band, their links, and their music, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com and click on the Musicians tab. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Mark Watson with the Wyoming Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. Mr. Mark Watson gives us an update on Wyoming's oil and gas activity, as well as the impact from the ripple in the surrounding areas. This is Mark Watson with the Wyoming Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. You know, you mentioned the, the conservation tax. So we're a self-funded agency. We um, charge a tax on all production in the state. Uh, it's five mils, so it's five dollars for every ten thousand dollars worth of oil or gas sold. And then we also make, you know, money on permit fees. It's five hundred dollars for a drilling permit. Um, hearing fees, two hundred fifty dollars. So you know, we we have enough revenue to basically fund our agency and then also fund um, orphan wells. Um, should the bond not be enough? I think that was your second question. So Orphan Well is basically a well where the company's gone bankrupt or hasn't followed our rules, and so we've um, revoked their bond. And then the well becomes the property of the Oil and Gas Commission, and it's our job to um, plug that well and rehab the surface. 
And so we've been pretty busy probably since I took over in 2014. We've had about a little over 5,500 to 6,000 orphan wells. A majority of them are cold bed methane wells that are you know, anywhere from zero to 3,000 feet. So they're a little easier to plug than, say, a you know, deep horizontal well. And we've been plugging, you know, average five, 600 a year. This year we've got over four, 1,400 wells under contract. I think we've plugged, as of this week, close to uh, 1,000 wells for 2020. Um, and, and that's a lot to do with the governor and legislators telling the oil and gas commission that, you know, when things are a little slower, maybe we could, you know, up our game, plug more wells, keep more people employed. So that's what we've done. To listen to the full-length interview with Mark Watson with the Wyoming Oil and Gas Conservation Commission or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our ever-growing army of energy enthusiasts with our social media pages from Facebook to YouTubes, Twitters, LinkedIn. Check them out, folks. TheCrudeLife.com. Click on the social media page. From the staff here at The Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies asking, and always remember, energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by It Takes an Industry to Build a Forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com.